Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk exclusively about Watford FC. This is the post Norwich City game podcast and this episode will be a little bit different because unfortunately we haven't been able to come together as a three or even as a two, which is a real shame because this is the first time that we've not been able to do that. But we did want to get something out because it was a massive win against Norwich City and both Tom, Jordan and I wanted to have our little say on it. So what we've done is Tom and Jordan have both done their own separate pieces. I'm going to introduce you to those right now. So without further ado, I'll leave you with the dulcet tones of Tom Burdell, but firstly, Jordan Weimer. Hello and welcome to What for Buzz podcast. My segment, I'm just going to talk about the game and, and just where we, where we exceeded, where we did well and maybe some areas we didn't quite do as well and there weren't too many as I thought it was quite a positive result. So we'll get straight into it. Um, I don't want to kind of recover too much stuff the other guys are covering. <clears throat> So we just start straight from the off, really. Um, the the shape and, and the players available, I think, made, made a huge difference. But we again went out in that four three three as we as we all expected. There's a lot of talk, obviously, in the, in the build up to that game, um, depending on availability at, at fullback, what kind of shape would be, and would we potentially be looking to switch to a back three or you know move some players out of position to compensate for a, a left side of the defence we weren't too confident about. But thankfully. Adam Masson was available. He could retain that place in the starting lineup, and and obviously Craig Cathcart went in at right back. I think we'll start with um, we'll start with that actually because I think that's probably quite quite worth talking about in, in in terms of Craig Cathcart there. I think he I think he played really well. Um, I, I thought it was a really good performance from Craig, and I know we've seen him play at the right back position under Kike Sanchez Flores in, in the fifteen sixteen season. He was really good there. Um, it it was something that we maybe not feeling too confident about his attacking threat. Having said that, I thought he got the pitch pretty well. I know Saar was obviously so advanced at times, it allows him a little bit more time to get up with him perhaps because Saar's not wasn't maybe the most direct at times yesterday. He was taking his time on the ball in those forward areas and, and Craig was able to support. And I thought when he did get on the ball, uh, I thought he did a pretty good job um, getting the crosses in and he had some good balls in the box and he held his position well. He, he didn't really struggle to, to get back into position either. And there was always a little bit of freedom there um, we discussed in the in the opposition breakdown, the preview, 
uh, how Norwich Norwich's main threat from wide, from the from the width and uh, the, from the wide areas is from their fullbacks. So that that gives us a little bit more freedom in, in in that defensive position to push ours forward because we do have a little bit more a little bit more time to get back in. It's kind of more of a one on one situation if if Sars not involved there. It's Cathcart against that wing back, the fullback is pushing up, um, and with Sars defensive help that he's able to contribute with, I think that we kind of did quite a decent job of, of containing those wing backs. Um, and and Craig was able to kind of get through that game quite comfortably. Campwell, obviously starting on the, on his side, is always going to drift narrow. He's kind of more of a central midfielder problem for the most part, or, or even a centre back issue, uh, as we saw at kind of some of the better points of his game was kind of when he was able to drift inside and and run at run at players. Um, so I think Craig was a real standout. Um, I think that's exactly the sort of reason you want those sorts of players in there. And he, he's an experienced member of the squad, and he kind of really did come through in that one. And yeah, I think that was best case scenario for me. I'm really pleased with that. Uh, good decision from uh, from Cisco there, uh, and great execution from Craig. Um, so in terms of the shape, um, as I said, four three three. But that change we did make is again exactly what we talked about in that preview podcast. What can we do to to stop Norwich playing? How can we how can we compensate for that threat that they they possess? And we we made the change we we all kind of hoped for, and that was that switch to those two more aggressive presses in the field. Um, you know, playing that more defensive role in forward areas, breaking up that possession and making it difficult for the for the Norwich midfield to build up. Um, Tom Cleverley and, and Dan Gosling were able to to fill those roles, and I thought both of them players, particularly Tom Cleverley, we'll, we'll get on, we'll touch on Dan Gosling soon as well, of course. Um, but Tom Cleverley, I thought, was tireless in in midfield. He made it so difficult for Norwich. He was everywhere, um, and that is the exact sort of game you want Tom Cleverley in for. And that again is what we talked about in the podcast in the previews, guys. It, it's something we've, we've we've all felt, we've all discussed on Twitter. Tom Cleverley is key. Uh, in these big games, when you have opposition that's going to dominate the ball, you need that you need that battler in there, and Tom Cleverley is just someone that can can fill that role and do that job so so well. So we're really lucky to have him available for that game, and you know we 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 kind of felt like if he was going to miss the kind of the games against the the lower ranked opposition that we're playing, uh, as long as he was back for this these this run against the likes of Norwich particularly, then that could be a real game changer, and it was. Um, I think Tom Cleverley did contributed heavily to that win. Uh, both on and off the ball, I thought he was excellent. Uh, but it's particularly that that pressing and that closing down the space and, and covering lanes and just being all over the pitch. Top, top performance from Tom. Um, really, really pleased with that again. So the two players we touched on there, I thought were outstanding. Um, the, the back four as a, as, a, as a whole did pretty well. I thought I thought Backman did pretty well too. Um, but those two really stood out. And then Dan Gosling too. I mean, you know, he, he was in, that, in the team to be that more defensive player in a forward position closing down again a similar role to Cleverly but he kept finding himself in these shooting opportunities it didn't look like it was going to happen for him did it um, but he got there in the end uh, and that's all that matters I guess because there were some chances he had beforehand and we were creating the much better of it and I think for me um, it, it does come down to the, the fact that Norwich is so confident in their system in their, their style of play they're not necessarily looking to adapt too much to their opposition. I think that's. I think they suffered for that against us. Uh, I think they have to. I think if you're playing us at this level in the championship, we're, I'd say we're the second best team in the league. And I know obviously it's easy to say we're second, but I, I do believe that. And I think you have to respect that right hand side. And for me, even with even with Cathcart playing in there instead of Kiko, they didn't respect Ishmael Asar enough, and he, he had way too much room countless times in that game. 
Uh, I mean, you've got the likes of, of, of Cleverly and, and Gosling. They're players that can get up and they can support and they're going to have the energy to get forwards and, and help Sai even when he's breaking them lines a little bit faster than the rest of us. Um, so for them, I think that's that's a weakness in their game. That they, didn't, they didn't game plan for Ishmael Asar. Uh, yes, they had some cover from midfield, but you need to be... You need to be careful with those fullbacks, and they're so integral to Norwich's attack. They just didn't really want to to give up that threat. It, it did cost them, I think. Uh, I know the goal didn't directly come from Ishmael Assar, but I thought all that threat in that first half, so much of it was coming from that right-hand side. Um, Ken, on the, on the other side, didn't quite get into the game. It's been a little bit of a recurring theme for Kenson, which is a bit of a shame. And I, I do think partly that is down to support. I think we see a lot, a lot more from Ken if he if he had that support from left back, and also maybe if Sinkenegg was in there to kind of drift into those left positions and and help get on the ball and maybe create some passing lanes and help give him a little bit more advance because quite a lot of the time he's had to take on his man. He's not getting slipped through. It's him, you know, standing up his man and taking him on one on one. But yeah, Ismail Assar again, top top performance and it is just very very promising heading into these final final few games. Um, we did we did improve a lot of things from the Luton game. I mean, we talk about the chances Dan Gosling had, and that was just from that first twenty minutes or so. It was constant constant pressure from us and real real threat. And you know, we we overshot that xG and we, we our xG exceeded what it was in the entire ninety minutes against Luton in the first twenty minutes against Norwich. And that tells you a lot. It tells you how much we're, we're pushing from the off, and we can be dangerous in the beginning of games. That's really when we can shine. We scored a lot of goals in those, in those early phases and we, we looked like we were on the path to scoring again. We just couldn't quite couldn't quite put it away. Um, but we kept we kept with it and we continued, which is really, really good to see, uh, especially bouncing back from one of the worst performances of the season, especially um, from an offensive standpoint. Um, we were very, very off the pace. Uh, I think the pitch helped. Um, but we looked... I, I thought it suited us to... I thought it suited us to kind of have less of the ball and, and play a little bit more, a bit more of a, as a counter-attacking team. And, you know, it might give us a bit of a glimpse the next season. Should we get? Should we kind of seal this promotion? Is we're going to be playing like that more regularly, of course. And I think it does. It does show we have the pace and the power, um, and the the technical ability, and the football intelligence to to execute the counter-attacking style sometimes. And we were able to dominate the ball at times as well. So really, really good performance. Uh, Jao Pedro, I'll touch on as well. I think maybe he's he's struggled the last few weeks to kind of get involved too much. He's he's maybe not got on the ball enough. Um, not quite linking up the play as we'd, as we'd hoped and we know he's capable of. But he, he played a big part in that goal. Um, his his work and into the box and that ball across was really excellent. And Dan Gosling's run, top run, top finish, you know, really, really perfect timing. And it was, it was a massive goal for us. And I think from then on, um, I think we were pretty comfortable. I know we had a couple of edgy moments and obviously going into those last 10 minutes was excruciating for everyone watching at home. Um, but... I think for the most part, if you watch it back objectively, uh, knowing the result, I think you can see we were pretty comfortable. I know we made a few changes. We brought Cabaselli in there uh, for Cathcart. And obviously, Zinconegel came on too for a, a bit of fresh legs. Um, and talking of subs, I thought the most impressive um, was Nathaniel Chalibur. I thought he was very calm. I thought he added a level of uh, of ease again to his game that just allowed us to to take our time, even in those high pressure moments. He had that calmness and that that presence of mind to take a touch and and keep possession and and, and push us forwards even to kind of get possession higher at the pitch and look to hold it there. Uh, so I thought that was really, really excellent from Chalaba. I think all the subs did well, didn't they? I mean, I know Zinkenegel maybe didn't get involved as much, but obviously when you talk about Zinkenegel being involved, it's about his attacking threat. And when he came on against Norwich, it's more about just containing and just having that energy to kind of stop some of those Norwich attacks. 
Uh, and then we'll, I, I didn't touch on Will Hughes, but I thought Will Hughes again. Yeah, I thought that was back to himself, back to his best now, dropping into that deeper position. He really was able to dictate things and, and break up play as well. So team performance as a whole, guys, I think we, we're looking really good uh, heading into those final three games now. Um, I think you should be very positive uh, about, about your team. Um, plenty of positives. And last night, I think that'd be obviously a huge boost to the squad uh, mentally. I think going into the last few games, you know, it's, it, it's absolutely massive. Um, Millwall will be a tough test and we'll get to Millwall. Um, I'll be recording a preview podcast for this tomorrow. Um, lots to talk about on Millwall. Obviously, they lost tonight uh, against Bournemouth. And uh, yeah, I think just the most part, guys, be be happy with this result. And we, a, lot of the, a lot of the positives were, were coming throughout throughout the performance from from every area really defensively we were good uh, and offensively we were good I think our XG as well um, I don't like to bang on about XG too much in, uh, as an isolated metric but I think yesterday just comparing it to how we performed against Luton and, and going away to Norwich and, and kind of winning that battle in terms of chance quality uh, we had a 2.27 uh, expected goals rating as opposed to Norwich had a 1.04 really good to see in, in a 1-0 win um, we just didn't quite capitalise on some of the chances we had, but we're making those quality of chances. And for me, that was the real concern with this one because that previous game against Luton, our quality of chance was very, very, very poor. Um, but we're looking, we're looking kind of back to back to ourselves a little bit now. And there's still some things to iron out, um, but that possession was much better too. So the last thing I touch on is that possession. I thought we retained the ball really nicely. There's much more of the ball kind of playing across that back line comfortably. I know Serialta made one mistake at one point, but for the most part, we looked much more comfortable. Uh, we fed the ball into that midfield, and I think Will Hughes makes that massive difference, just being that outlet in midfield, and you know you can play from there. Uh, better combinations out wide, uh, and, and also through the centre too. So lots of positives, guys. Uh, but they're just the points I really wanted to cover there, um, looking ahead to this uh, Millwall game now. So I'll be back with you um, for Millwall. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, I'm Jordan Wammer, and I'll catch you next time. That was Jordan Weimer there with the tactical analysis of the Watford victory over Norwich. And if you enjoyed that, he'll be analysing Watford's next opposition Millwall at the end of the show as well. So stay tuned for that. Next up, though, it's show regular and football journo and Watford fan too, no less, Tom Burdell, who will be giving his lowdown on the Norwich game too. And importantly, what an impact that game had on Watford's hunt for promotion and maybe, just maybe, the championship title. Well, I think the, the first and main thing to say about the game uh, was that it was a fantastic win and a fantastic performance. And for me, uh, having missed the Luton game, but thankfully, um, it was, you know, like we'd never been away almost and, and kind of left, picked up where we left off in terms of some of our better performances. But I actually think it went beyond that. And it was probably for the first time in a while, it felt like we really flew out of the traps and sustained it apart from a period sort of after the first 25 minutes or so until half time when, when Norwich had a bit more of a go at it. Uh, you know, I thought we were kind of excellent throughout, whereas, you know, the last game I saw was the Reading match. We started really well and it felt like we just shut up for shop. But from, uh, you know, based on based on the Norwich game, we were, it was a far more of a sort of 90 minute display of, of, of going for it. And I think that probably had something to do with the fact that they were quite happy to go for it as well. They had nothing to lose, you know, they had everything to gain by clinching the title on the night and they could ensure that they could just, you know, really just enjoy the final few weeks of the season. So um, I think that played into our hands, whereas Luton, by all accounts, and having watched the highlights, you know, it, it seemed like they made it quite hard for us to play. The pitch wasn't good. And, you know, there were a lot of reasons why it wasn't our most uh, joined up, fluid display of the season. Um, 
as I say, overall, it was a very good, it was a very enjoyable performance. And I can't remember, apart from the obvious exceptions, uh, the, the Bristol City game being one of them. I can't remember a game where we've had so many efforts and we've had so many decent opportunities on goal. Uh, our XG was 2.27, according to Scout. Norwich's was a shade over one. Um, and then Dan Gosling had four efforts before he scored his goal. And uh, it was probably the best chance of the lot. But there were a couple of other real... Um, guilt-edged chances in there, wasn't there? The, the header from Craig Cathcart's cross on the right, the one where uh, it was sort of it was sort of dug across to him and all he had to do was get a good connection on it, he thought, but he sort of got his feet a little bit tied up. It was, um, you know, not the kind of performance from him that I think we expected when we signed him. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the sense of, I think we signed him with the anticipation that he would play as a bit of a sort of scrapper, ball winner, you know, just add that bit of solidity in there. And certainly I've called for him in games um, since he arrived in January to come on and, and just help solidify things when it feels like the tide is turning. But actually yesterday in that three, he probably played the more most attacking role out of any of them, didn't he? Um, Tom Cleverley got forward quite a bit as well. And I thought he played really well. I thought Will Hughes played really well. I mean, I thought everyone played really well, to be honest. It was one of those games. But that midfield three, and in particular Gosling, I think that was his um, you know, real standout performance for us uh, so far since he arrived from Bournemouth. So that was that was really encouraging because I did wonder with um, those three in midfield and then the two wing-backs, or the two full-backs, I should say, being Adam Messina, who we've discussed a lot in the past. And I know Jordan... As you know, mentioned a lot in the past, the kind of balance of the fullbacks that Kiko's the one that gets forward. So without him, you know, it's going to put a bit more onus on Adam Messina. And then you see, obviously, at right back, it's going to be Craig Cathcart. Having thought, oh, it's fine, it'll be Jeremy Ngakia, who isn't the most attack minded, but at least he's a natural fullback. You think, blimey, it's going to be the most sort of, you know, narrow, solid, compact back four imaginable. But to be fair to Craig Cathcart, and you know, he's a point worth addressing on his own. He was really bloody good, wasn't he? Uh, I, was, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by him. Not because I thought he'd let us down uh, defensively, but I did just wonder how comfortable he was going to be uh, in terms of the kind of positions he would have to take up. And and definitely, obviously, in terms of going forward, because, you know, Craig Cathcart, for all his qualities, he's quite a safe player on the ball, isn't he? He's not, um, you know, he's not someone who's going to carry the ball forward. He's certainly not a fullback. But on the basis of that game, uh, you wouldn't necessarily have known it, would you? He was reserved. He was certainly wasn't bombing on past Ishmael Asar in the, in the way that um, in the way that um, Kiko Feminier might do or even Jeremy Ngakia to some extent. But he was happy to get up and support. And there were a few times where Saar would have it in a bit of a dead end and he'd knock it back to Cathcart and, you know, he would be in a bit of space because they were paying such close attention to Saar. And that was how he was able to put the the nice cross in early on for uh, for that Dan Gosling header, you know. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I didn't feel like we were we were hugely weakened by the absence of Kiko Femnir. It had been very interesting to see how, um, how their left-back, who you know, very attack minded, obviously, um, fall back in his own right. It would have been it would have been very interested to see how Kintia did um would have done with both Feminia and Ishmael Asar running at him. But, you know, he still had a pretty torrid time, didn't he? Just with Ishmael Asar going at him. And I think I think that spoke um you know, I think I think that spoke volumes. He he barely came out on top at any of his defensive duels, four of eleven according to Y Scout. So 
um, of the kind of the defensive players. That was he was definitely one of the worst in that sense. So yeah, it was it was, it was really interesting, and that kind of it far and away exceeded my expectations. I thought someone else who did really well was uh, was Will Hughes as ever. It's you know it's kind of boring to say now, but. He has just been so, so important this season. I think had he been fit all season long, we'd be talking about, um, you know, we'd be talking about an absolute shoo-in for, for player of the season. He only misplaced a handful of passes, uh, you know, in terms of his dual success really high. As always, you know, his, just, his ability to pick the ball off and be in the right place, you know, seven interceptions, which was more than anyone else for Watford yesterday, but his ability to be in the right place and just make, uh, make Watford hard to play through and just, you know, the other sort of intangible stuff, his cajoling and his leadership and so on, you know, he's not an old player by any means, but he's obviously played quite a bit of football in his career at this stage. And he's been here for, you know, what is it? Four years now, you know, going to be entering his fifth year, I think, isn't he? He signed in 2017 and he's been, you know, a real leader in this team. And it was just it was just another really, really good performance from him. And it's funny, really, the midfield, we've suddenly, it feels like we've suddenly got a, you know, plethora of options. The fact that Chalabar was only a substitute and Zinconago, who's been in the team and, and picked up a few assists, was only a substitute. Carlos Sanchez, who'd done so well a couple of weeks ago, not in the squad. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's suddenly, it's quite, it's a position of sort of relative rude health, isn't it? Uh, so that that was that was encouraging um, his display, and I also thought, um, although he maybe didn't have a kind of proper number nine performance in terms of attempts, I don't think he had actually had an attempt on goal. But I thought Joao Pedro put in a very good display, sort of drifting wide or dropping short, or you know going kind of where where he needed to go to make things happen. And there were a couple of instances where he. You know, he carried the ball out of tight spaces and got us up the field or he dragged people out of position and, and made things happen. And it was almost it was almost, to my mind, quite a selfless display from him at times. You know, it wasn't about goals. And I think that's indicative of the fact that he probably isn't a, an out and out number nine. Um, but I was I was I was quite impressed with all the other components of his game. And I think I think that's a good thing. Um, certainly early on, I didn't think he got in it. I didn't think Ken Semmer got in it particularly early on, but it was uh, obviously Ken and um, Tom Cleverley who were, you know, instrumental in making the goal happen by really getting stuck into them, pressing. I thought, you know, we, as a general rule, particularly in that first half, in that first sort of 20 minutes where we just didn't let them breathe, you know, we got we got into them with great deal of intensity and made it very hard for them to play. You know, they're a good ball playing side. They've got a lot of good players. And and we made it quite hard in that respect, um, but it was a you know f- f- taking that it was a really uh, really satisfying goal uh, in terms of the kind of creation of it and the the cross and and what have you is from from João Pedro is you know uh, probably indicative of what I was saying earlier that his was the ball into the box for for Dan Gosling that ultimately proved pivotal and it was the decisive moment wasn't it and you know in in all likelihood, you'd have that the other way around. Dan Gosling, the more likely supplier to someone like Joao Pedro. But uh, I think that's that's the great thing about this team. You know, we've talked before on this pod about the fact that we haven't got anyone who's going to hit probably 15 or 20 goals unless one of them has a really nice finish to the season. Whereas, you know, teams of if Watford's past that have got promoted out of this division have scored a lot of goals um, through kind of one or two players, Troy Deeney, Marlon King, Darius Henderson, Ashley Young, Forestieri, Vidra, Garlo, and so on, you know, you know, all time kind of 
um, great individual campaigns some of those have got, guys have had for, for Watford as far as we're concerned. But this year, you know, it's, it's kind of a more modest total. And we've talked about the reasons for that. But the reason I raise it is that, you know, Dan Gosling, another one, someone else, he's obviously scored already, I know, at Rotherham, but somebody else just getting in there and, and making themselves important um, at the, the critical moment, you know, it found found another way to win. And I think that's been the success of this season, that even when, I'm saying, I'm saying this like when reflecting on this season as a whole and we're up and it's job done, absolutely not the case. But the the success of this season as a whole is, I think, even when we've been rubbish, you know, and we can all pinpoint that period, we've never gone on a horrible run of results, uh, you know, losing streak like Brentford and, and Swansea have gone through pretty wretched run of form, run of results recently. Um, you know, there was even the period where Deeney was sort of scoring a penalty every week. We found a way to win. And I suppose the success has been kind of made possible by the the defence, which again, I thought was excellent, you know, in terms of Norwich, they had opportunities, but a lot, a lot of half chances. And certainly in my kind of, my kind of scribblings down, I had the Kieran Dow free kick, which was deflected over, um, and a Todd Cadenwell shot that was pushed over by Dan Backman. But to be honest with you, I'm just scanning my notes now. I can't really see any other chances that I deemed worthy. And I think the fact that their best opportunity on Y Scout, on the basis of Y Scout's XG model, was Emmy Buendia's effort uh, registering at 0.2, and I can't even remember it probably says it all and you know they've been one of the best attacks in division you only have to look at Wendia, Todd Campwell, Timo Puki obviously you know they've got great attacking players so I, I thought it was a, another really good really accomplished all-round display from us against the other outstanding team in the division so I feel a lot better now than I did knowing we'd lost to Luton I didn't feel hugely positive coming into this one I certainly didn't feel hugely positive once I saw the team but I think the win you know is is absolutely huge and its significance obviously leaves us um, nine points clear of, of Swansea ten points clear of Brentford who have that game in hand of course against Rotherham Rotherham who you know, aren't in a great moment in terms of form, but have games in hand and and can keep themselves up if they if they come through them with the right results. Uh, you know that that's going to be tough, and you only have to look at Brentford's recent uh, recent run of results. They've only got one win in their last seven. You know, four in their last seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, four in their last fourteen. That's not, you know, that's not promotion form. And their their next game, of course, is. Is Bournemouth away this weekend who are absolutely flying the form team in the playoffs. I think the team that everybody's sort of tipping up to come through the playoffs if they can keep that momentum going. Um, you know, so that's a really, really tough game. And I think if if they uh, if they don't come through that with a win, then I think I think their their goose is cooked. Uh and realistically Swansea as well, you know, another another defeat, five in their last seven for them. The teams they've beaten, you know, Sheffield Wednesday bad team Millwall kind of never quite know what to expect hopefully the Millwall that face Swansea turn up um, against us this weekend and then you know having to come from behind to to draw against Wickham and by all accounts Wickham you know deserve to get the win in that game so you know they're not in a great place either so suddenly it feels like we're basically there um, with Millwall to come this weekend I feel you know considerably more confident than I did on uh, on on Saturday, the you know only our second defeat uh, since we lost to QPR at the start of February. I mean that's a phenomenal run. You can only assume that the positivity garnered from that will be 
you know, will be enough to carry us through. I think the other thing that's significant, and, and I, don't, I don't know, well, I'll say what it is and I'll say why it might not be. I, I think the thing that I found interesting is the little clips from the club that have been put out and the players of them sort of celebrating the change room afterwards. And the, there was a fantastic atmosphere after that Reading win. I think it was on Ben Foster's YouTube channel. And then, you know, they showed them all going into the dressing room after the Norwich game and they were all cheering into the camera, shouting and whatever. And then you, the door shut and you heard them celebrating. And it just feels like there is a real togetherness with this group. Now, I'm going to say we didn't see that last season. That's a big difference. We didn't see that last season. We were having a relegation season. You know, there wasn't a lot to celebrate. I probably didn't feel right to share those moments of celebration from the club's point of view, given what a wretched season it was anyway. But it's just something about it. It just feels different this year, isn't it? There's a very, it's a very likeable group of players on the whole. And, you know, maybe it's the fact that the club and the players are making a really conscious effort to try and, you know, establish that connection between us and them after last season and also because of the pandemic and not being able to get into the stadium. But yeah, I just wonder if that's significant. I'd be very interested to know if I'm reading into something that isn't there or can just be explained by the fact we got relegated last season or whether there is actually something in that because, yeah, my suspicion is that there might be. Um, I think the final thing to say from, from my point of view now is that we can't get carried away. We're in a great position, but we've still got to get the job done. It would be lovely to go into those final two games knowing that the the job is done and we're up. So, you know, we move we move on to Millwall now and they are, um, you know, not a bad side by anyone's, uh, by anyone's measure. You know, that defeat against Swansea was a bit of a bit of an aberration, but they've beaten Millsborough, uh, Rotherham and Stoke recently, beat Derby, beat Preston. You know, they've they've picked up wins uh, in, in recent weeks. So they're not, you know, they're not hopeless by any means. And they, they've got a nice draw um, against Brentford at the weekend, of course. So it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough game. And, you know, for them, I don't think they're really playing for anything at this stage of the season, but, they will realistically, but they will relish the opportunity to uh, play party poopers for us. Even if it's at our place, they're not going to want us to be celebrating um, too much, are they? Come come full time, so it's going to be a tough game, and we know and we know that that from from going to their place and, and stinking the place out, whether or not that was because they were brilliant or we made life hard for ourselves, I'm not quite sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, they, you know, they are they aren't going to just roll over and die by any means. So it's going to be a tough game. We've got to have the focus and the intensity that we've shown in all our best performances this season, and you know, find find a way to win again. And I've got the absolute confidence that we'll do that. And even if it goes to the Brentford game. Uh, the following week, I've got absolute confidence that we'll we'll have the necessary uh, ability and performance levels to get the job done. Then, if we have to as well, so feeling very very positive and can't wait for the final three games of the season. Tom Burnell there then, bringing as usual his excellent and interesting insight on all things Watford and talking there about how important that win is for not only the team, but for the fans too. The final segment then coming up of this uh, rather unorthodox show today due to everyone's time constraints this week. Uh, and we're heading back off the Canada again to hear what Jordan has to say about how Millwall are likely to come into this next game with Watford as their next opponents. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, Opposition Breakdown. And we're back again with, a, with another breakdown of this time Millwall off the back of that massive 1-0 victory away at Carrow Road. Crucial three points against Norwich and that now puts us in a, a great position coming into this one. Uh, the three o'clock kickoff 
uh, on Saturday against Millwall out of Vicarage Road. So really looking forward to that one. Um, it could be a promotion clinching game too if we get the three points. And yeah, lots of positives to take away from the Norwich game. And, and we weren't quite maybe at the best we can be, but we were so much closer than we were um, in that, that previous losing game. Uh, so the kind of looking ahead to this one now, what we're going to be doing today, uh, we'll be looking at Millwall, looking at those strengths, weaknesses, uh, areas we can exploit, kind of how they play, that style of play. And just try and give you an overall impression of uh, of what to expect from Millwall, even though it's kind of hard to predict in some ways because they've they kind of dropped off a little bit recently. We've seen better from them uh, earlier in the season, but they really did drop off in the last couple of weeks. And also worth bearing in mind that they've had some really tough fixtures the last four games. Obviously, us coming up, they've also played Bournemouth, Brentford and Swansea too. So it's been a difficult, difficult period for them. Um, and, you know, they've, they've struggled. They've had a, a draw and two losses out of those and obviously us coming up. Um, so we'll go through we'll go through Millwall, Millwall. We'll look a little bit deeper too. We'll look a bit, little bit further back to kind of see the better side of Millwall and what they could be kind of on the game. Uh, and just try and discuss, uh, yeah, discuss all those subjects we just kind of pointed out there. So firstly, we'll look at the league position there. Sandwiched now just between uh, Middlesbrough and Luton now in 11th place. Gary Rowe's done a, a pretty good job. I think he's got, given he's inherited kind of a mixed, a mixed squad, not tons of quality and just some strange recruitment. We'll talk about their forward line as the podcast goes on, but they've got some real, real issues in that forward line in terms of the amount of players, the contracts they've got, and they've just a variation. There's no consistency there. The likes of Matt Smith, Sahor, uh, Bradshaw, Tom Bradshaw in there. Um, Mason Bennett's been playing essentially, and obviously Jed Wallace has been playing as a striker too. So it's one that rotates quite a lot. I know Zahor played in the last game against Bournemouth. Mason Bennett was playing before that. Uh, the only real consistency is Jed Wallace in that front line. He's the one they look to, look to pay, play through. He's their best player, the most important player. Uh, there were a couple of question marks as to whether he'll be fit for this one against us. Uh, but I think he probably will. And let's just assume he will, because I think we have to kind of look at best case scenario for Millwall and and what we'd be facing. We have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best, I guess. But Jed Wallace is definitely prepared for the worst situation if he's playing. Um, so we'll get into the kind of shape they deploy or route deploys. Uh, it's predominantly a three at the back system. He's he's toyed around with 3-4-3, but more recently it's the 3-5-2. I think that's what we will be facing on Saturday. And most likely with Zahor and, and, and Jed Wallace up front, uh, continuing on from that last game. Of course, it's possible, as I said, that front line is, is quite random. It's possible we might see someone else in for Zahor to kind of give us a little bit of a, a different task, a different uh, front line to face, and maybe they can try and find some different ways of kind of getting forward to goal. Uh, the primary kind of philosophy behind this this three at the back system, this three five two, is to, to contain the opposition, uh, get into shape early, be disciplined, um, and, and try and be quite defensive and, and win that ball back through midfield. Their midfield's quite quite combative. Um, they like to turn over the ball a lot, and that they maybe lack a little bit of a little bit of uh, finesse in that midfield when it comes to getting the ball forwards and the most progressive uh, of midfields. Uh, but they like to try and turn that ball over as much as possible and, and try and, as I said, contain the right wing back and the left wing back. They'll tuck in. They'll get quite narrow uh, defensively when they need to. Uh, but they also like to play with a lot of width on the ball. So that's maybe maybe the most expansive area of the pitch can be from from that wing-back position, they are asked to do quite a lot and they're quite crucial to this team as we all know how crucial those wing-backs will be in the, in the back three system. Um, they'd, like to, they'd like to try and feed the ball to Jed Wallace nice and early. He'll, he'll carry the ball, take in a lot of runs and, and look to progress the ball that way. He's dangerous. Um, he's dangerous from 
all aspects really in that kind of in our in our own half. You've got to be careful with Jed Wallace because he's, he's able to carry the ball. He's able to slip in the pass. He can shoot from range. He can take it inside the box and shoot too. So if you can nullify Jed Wallace, and you really can nullify Millwall for for large portions of the game, that's so I think when we're looking at Millwall, we're, we're looking at what they're kind of coming to Vicarage Road to do. I think you've got to expect a team that's not going to have too much to ball, looks to play wide in possession uh, and tries to find Jed Wallace. And defensively, they're going to be tight and contained. Um, obviously, they've had varying levels of, of success in doing so. As we saw against Bournemouth, they conceded four goals. And at this point of the season, they're kind of not really playing for anything. You could argue they're on the beach and, and they've had a tough run. So they may be a little bit battle-weary. Maybe it's a good opportunity for us, but obviously we shouldn't underestimate them. So I think I think we have to kind of look at those, as I said, best-case scenario. What can we expect from a, from a really good Millwall side and when they're playing at the level they're capable of? So we'll discuss um, some of the strengths now. We'll, we'll just move on to that real quick. Um, I will say too, I'll just throw this in there one thing real quick. If you want to find a little bit of a deeper look into Millwall, if you want to spend even more time kind of finding out about what Millwall are and kind of what to expect from them, David Anderson and myself uh, recorded the podcast a couple of weeks ago now, previewing Brentford's game with Millwall. Ended up being a nil-nil draw, but we went quite deep into the weeds in Millwall and talked about talked about their you know, pros and cons. Very similar to what I'm doing here, but just a, a longer version. Um, so yeah, check that out if you feel that way inclined. It's the Bees Tactical Podcast. Uh, so yeah, anyway, moving on to their strengths. Um, they do have quite a few strengths. I, I, I do quite like what they do uh, in some areas of the pitch. I'd say they defensively, you might look at that first. Aerial duels, very strong. That back line is very strong in the air. And the midfield's quite physical too. And they're able to get get in these kind of aerial duels and come out on top the majority of the time. And I think that's an area that they would win. They'd win that battle against us, uh, especially... If you maybe have Zinchenko back in central midfield as a possibility, then yeah, I think you quite fancy them. And our forward line is not the most physical, is it? It's not the biggest. And I wouldn't say Jao Pedro is the, the most dominant in the air. So you could be looking to keep things on the ground as as we tend to do anyway. So hopefully it's something that we can avoid getting caught up in. But that is a strength for them. Um, it's something that served them quite well, uh, especially as well because they can kind of have that threat from set pieces too. Uh, again, defensively, it's winning the ball back from midfield. I think they're really good at getting those turnovers and, Teams that like to play quite essentially have struggled against Millwall. I think even teams like Brentford too that have a maybe have a little bit more of a, a build-up routine. I think Millwall have been able to kind of sit back and and find those kind of gaps and, and push on and intercept those balls, break up the play. Uh, and it's something that's been quite difficult for a lot of teams going to the den especially. And that's a real strong point for them. They've got physical midfielders in there. Ryan Woods is quite aggressive. Um, he's, he's quite good at turning the ball over. He's, he's not a bad ball player either. And they've also brought in Billy, Billy Mitchell recently as well, uh, just on a new contract for them. And he's a, a big physical player. He likes to get around the pitch, moves quite well. And he's also the one that can can play a little bit too. So they've, they've got a really strong midfield there. Um, I've had to make a comparison to a lot of how how uh, how Millwall play. It's not dissimilar to what we saw under Ivic. They don't quite have that quality to really maybe pick up some of those points where perhaps it's a bit closer, maybe a nil-nil situation where we had some of that quality in Jao Pedro and Ishmael Asar, we could turn those into wins. Maybe maybe Millwall lack that at times, but there's some similarities there uh, in terms of how that midfield operates, especially where we weren't the most progressive. We did turn the ball over quite nicely. We were quite energetic and hard work. And that's really what I see in Millwall too. So that's definitely one of their strengths. Funnily enough, they do actually create quite a few goal-scoring opportunities. Now, a lot of that comes down to Jed Wallace. Uh, some of that from the wide play too. They do, they do put in quite a few crosses. Um, but they are finding ways to get to get shots on goal. And it's not the most consistent. It can be a bit 
it can be a bit chaotic at times, but ultimately they are getting in the position to take shots. And they, when they get in a position to take a shot, they don't really mess around with that. They don't overwork things. They do take their shots. Uh, and that's something you have to be careful of, obviously. Um, we, we haven't really played too many teams, maybe Blackburn teams like that, that look to take shots from kind of strange positions, but Millwall are definitely happy to, especially because they have the likes of Jeb Wallace who's able to to take shots from range and, and test the keeper. Uh, weaknesses, I'd say keeping the ball is a bit of a weakness for them. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily their style of play. They're not looking to retain that possession, but there are poor periods of the game where if you're looking at this from a, from a Millwall perspective, you'd want them to be able to, to retain the ball a little bit and, and keep keep possession, especially when they're winning. Um, there are times you want them to kind of see things out a little bit more and just slow things down and retain the ball. And they don't do it very often. Um, even though they are capable, we saw in their game against Swansea in the second half, they came out and they tried to be a little bit more aggressive and more offensive. And they switched shapes and they looked to kind of retain the ball and, and play around a little bit more. And they were capable of doing so. The issue was they... They lacked some solidity at the back and ended up hurting them. But they do have some players that are technically capable in there. The, the likes of Ryan Woods, Billy Mitchell, they can retain the ball. They're just not the most progressive and it, it doesn't really suit their direct style of play. And when I say direct, they're not so much like a long ball all the time, hitting upfield, playing vertical. It's, it's more of a feeding the ball to Wallace and their wide men and, and kind of progressing the ball maybe on foot a little bit more, trying to carry the ball forwards. Um, so that's something we've got to be careful we've got to be careful of those opportunities that come and, and can't be switched on uh, Daniel Backman is going to have to save a few shots in this one I'd imagine uh, and and our centre-backs too we need to be kind of looking to, to contain maybe some some areas higher up the pitch because they are shooting opportunities to Millwall edge of the box it's not something you have to defend too often against when it comes to opposition kind of taking chances but this one this game I'd be more more concerned about that I'd be more aware of that and looking to try and close them down a little bit quicker and don't give them that room to shoot because they're not afraid to take those opportunities. Um, but yeah, so other weaknesses. Um, I say giving away free kicks can be quite troubling for them. I know we're not the most prolific from set pieces, but I mean, the more set pieces we do have in dangerous positions, the better. And I do think that that Millwall do have some issues here. Just looking back, I looked through some of their fouls. They give away a lot of fouls. I looked through some of them and quite a few are on the edge of the box. Uh, kind of whether, whether that's central to goal or out wide. Uh, Ryan Woods gives away quite a few fouls. He's quite aggressive in his challenges and you know he gets a lot of bookings. He's quite maybe someone that you'd want to run at quite quite a lot. And the way we play, especially out wide, if you can get Saar drifting inside and being a threat from there, then you know it might be somewhere you find some joy from. Uh, I could even see some penalties in this a penalty in this game too if we are playing direct because there is a physicality and kind of an aggression to this Millwall team that, that does lend to to giving away opportunities such as that. Um, so they're kind of the main kind of the, the main points. Actually one other thing I will touch on. We talk about um we talk about Millwall having a strength in, in scoring from from distance. Millwall have conceded a ton of long range goals. I went back and looked at the goals they've conceded this season just to kind of get an idea. I always have a look at the goals scored and against at the very least um, when, when kind of looking forward to these games. And that's one of the main things I'll look at just to kind of get an idea of how chances are created or goals, goals are created, how goals are conceded. And they've scored, they've conceded a fair amount of shots outside of the box. And it's a mixture of some poor keeping, poor closing down, and just skill from the opposition. But you know, that is somewhere we should be looking to, to try and test. And I wouldn't be opposed to us taking a few more shots. No, we generally try and work the ball into the box and we get a lot of crosses in, those low crosses into the box. But th this is one we maybe want to look at taking a few more shots uh, from distance and, and seeing if we can we can test Millwall. 
uh, throughout this 90 minutes because ultimately we want to be ahead early don't we we, we want to kind of get that goal and and look to build from there we don't want this one that can kind of goes on till the second half if we really find an opening i think we need to be quite aggressive and start quite quickly um it, and just trying to find that find that lead nice and early to kind of relieve some of that pressure uh, another weakness um i'd say i'd say defending movement can be a problem they're good at getting into shape um quite quite early and, and trying to contain these areas of the pitch but you look at the Millwall game against Bournemouth and Bournemouth's speed and movement, the speed and build-up really, really made it difficult for Millwall. And as I said, it was a bad day at the office for Millwall, but um, it is something they're susceptible to. You don't want to be too too slow or too methodical. Uh, I think someone like Brentford did struggle from that as, as an example too, where they, they have them set that set build-up and they can be a little bit predictable at times and they're not always moving at the tempo. Uh, that someone like Bournemouth have been in recent games, and it gives Millwall, it allows Millwall that time to to set up and and kind of stop those stop those lanes of those passing lanes and those shooting opportunities. I think we need to be quite aggressive in this one, and whilst we have to be patient too, because we're going to have a lot of the ball, Millwall aren't going to have the ball. It's just it's just a fact. They're not going to look to to play and and retain that possession. We're going to have a lot of, a lot of possession on Saturday, so whilst we have to be patient, I think when we do attack, it's got to be at speed. Um, I don't just mean running with speed. I mean, getting the ball to our players at speed and, and being quite aggressive in those situations. Otherwise, we're going to play into Millwall's hands a little bit. And ideally for them, they'll be able to kind of sit off and, and look to sit back and then, and then pounce on these opportunities to break up play. But, you know, in a way that's not overly, overly aggressive for uh, the majority of our build-up. So we need to find a way to, to, to exploit that. And I think we have the players to do so. So that will kind of lead us into a little bit, what can we do to to beat this Millwall team? How do we go about it? How do we set up? And there's a few questions uh, to be answered, I think, in regards to us coming into this one. There's lots of positives to take from that Norwich game. Uh, but we'll start with kind of the shape and and even just the personnel. I think the shape will stay the same, that 4-3-3. Uh, obviously, the, the variation in, in shape really comes down to, the only real variation comes down to what we do in midfield. Do we play with that tandem press, then tandem presses that we have in, in Gosling and Cleverly previously? Or do we put Zink and go back in there for a little bit of creative spark uh, and some options to kind of maybe help that left-hand side a little bit too uh, and feed our front line? I do think for this one, going just based off how combative that that midfield three is for Millwall, I'd be quite happy to avoid that area as much as possible and just really match it up with the likes of Cleverly, Gosling, maybe Chalaber in there. Uh, players that can... They can, they can battle with Millwall and we can we don't have to get caught up in that area. Will Hughes is happy to play from deep. We don't need to, we don't need to worry about that at all. Uh, I think we can exploit them on the wings and we're so strong out wide on the right. Why not? Why not push the ball down there and feed it as much as possible and see what we can do? We've had some real, real success against back threes, uh, especially ones that don't allocate too many resources to that right-hand side. If Kiko's back, then that's a real area of concern for them. Um, so I wouldn't look to change too much in that sense. I think our general game plan for playing these sorts of teams, I think it will work quite well. Uh, I think the only tweak you need to make is maybe just cons- stick with that consistency um, in midfield and start that, that Gosling and Cleverly pairing. Uh, as I said, perhaps perhaps Chalaber instead of one of those, most likely instead of Gosling, but I imagine we'll stick with the same. And then I think the other thing we could really want to do or be looking to do is, is include that left-hand side a little bit more. Uh, Ken Semmer's not quite the... He's not got quite that power that, that Saar has when it comes to beating his man. It's not really a sort of game you could be slipping, slipping Ken Semmer in behind his man and looking to break from that area. So I think we could have to try and support Ken maybe a little bit more from Massner and, and just kind of get him into a position to, to get the ball and run at, 
one of the outside centre-back, whether that be Evans or, or beat his wing-back in McNamara. Um, but I would like to see a little bit more balance there. And, and that could also come down to Jao Pedro's, Jao Pedro's um, role in this, in this team. He's been a little bit off the boil recently. Um, and I think I'd like to see him drop a little bit deeper. We've talked about this a few times. When you're playing the back against the back three, you don't want to get your striker too occupied in there because he's going to get outnumbered. He's going to get dominated most of the time. If he can drop in, be involved in midfield, build up a little bit and help get those wingers narrow, that might be an opportunity for Semen to get involved. Can he get a little bit narrower? Can can Jao Pedro drop in and try and find him, maybe have some combinations in there and try and bring those wingers into play and get those into the box a little bit more? Because I do want to see our wingers get into the box. We know how dangerous his Melisar is in the box. All of his goals have come from in the box, I believe. Um, and, and that's where we can we can be threatening. So that's kind of really the the main area for me, uh, how we can adjust that front three and then also avoid that midfield when when possible. Uh, I think as well, another thing I'll go back to, I think our possession across the back line against Norwich is much better. Um, it gives us that time and the ball to kind of get into shape and, and find spaces, something we really didn't see against Luton. And we're going to have a lot of the ball, so we're going to have to be quite consistent with that. Don't don't overplay it. Be careful with the likes of Trusta Kong. Um, he doesn't need to play into midfield as much sometimes, especially when we're kind of turning those balls over. And as we talked about, Millwall are quite good at, at doing so. Uh, so that's kind of the, the main threat, I think, in terms of our possession. We've got to be careful with that ball. And even Adam Massena too, I think his choice, in, his choice of possession or choice of pass has been a little bit off. Um, I think we can do a better job there and just kind of creating somewhat of a connection uh, between that left back and left midfielder, uh, which we haven't really seen as of yet. But for me, I'm feeling quite confident about this one. Um, it's all to me. It's just a case of can we can we be aggressive from the start and find those holes nice and early uh, and, and break that break that Millwall back line down uh, nice and quickly because we are capable of doing so. We just have to find find our rhythm um, from the off really uh, and see if we can see if we can push back uh, Millwall and try and open them up a little bit at times too. Because we're not exactly going to get pressed too much um, from Millwall in a sense. They're not the most aggressive in terms of pressing you and closing you down uh, I think they're bottom of the league they've got the lowest challenge intensity which is jewels, tackles and interceptions per minute of opposition possession um, and they don't they don't look to kind of they don't really get in your face too much so we've got some freedom in there and if we can if we can be aggressive ourselves and, and just play quite direct in a sense of uh, getting that ball out wide and getting it forward quite quickly um, and it could be it could be an opportunity to, to roll over Millwall in a similar way to, to what Bournemouth have done what we need to do, obviously, is avoid that trap of, of allowing Millwall to, Millwall to settle into the game um, and start to build that confidence in containing us. Uh, we can't get too frustrated. We have to, we have to be patiently aggressive, if, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, I will move on to just a couple of questions uh, I've got now uh, on Twitter. I've got a couple of DMs uh, regarding this one. So up first is a question about Craig Cathcart and if he should continue at right back. Um, it's a good question. <laughs> I think it's an interesting one. I mean, look, I think Hiko's been excellent. He's quite possibly, most likely, uh, going to be getting player of the season for us. He's been really, really good. So in some ways, you want to put him straight back into the team, completely understand that. I'm probably, I'd probably fall into that camp myself. Um, but then Craig Cathcart was really solid against Norwich. I thought he was excellent. Um, but this game, I think, I think fundamentally, this game we have to win. Uh, we, we want to be targeting this one as the win and I think Kiko gives us a better chance of winning uh, we need that attacking threat uh, we need that mobility down the right hand side and I think he just offers so much as, 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 as well as Craig Cathcart played I just think 
we have to look at this game as, as, an, as an isolated fixture uh, and one that could win us promotion. And for me, you put your best players on the pitch and Kiko's certainly up there. Um, so I'm, I'm starting Kiko in this one. And I, I think he could be you know, a difference maker. We need all the difference makers we can get on the field. Um, so that's, that's how I'll go with that one. But I can also inter- entertain any arguments for, uh, for Craig Cathcart um, you know, playing because he, he was great. Another question, keeping on that back line, is what's happened to, to Ben Wilmot? Why aren't we seeing him involved in the squad? I think it's a valid question. Um, I don't have a definitive answer for you, uh, but I do think it's a valid question. He, he's, a, he's a very capable player. He's got some versatility to him. I think he should be involved more. I think he's capable of playing at this level 100%. I think he's been very unfortunate not to be. Um, I really like him on the ball. Obviously, he offers us a little bit more. And, you know, even in a game like this, he, he's someone personally that I wouldn't be against considering. And maybe Millwall could be a tough one in some ways. They play the likes of Zahor. It might be a physical test. And if Ben Wilmot's lacking anywhere, it's probably that combative side of his game in comparison to Sivialta and Trusacon. So perhaps perhaps he wouldn't quite for them. But then having said that, there's also games you can have a lot of the ball. And you kind of want those those defenders that can play forwards. And I think Ben Wilmot can do that. So I'm surprised that he's not found ways into the team. Um, I know there was some interaction with him on Twitter where he seems to be quite unsure of why he's not being involved. That's a shame to me. I'd like there to be some communication. Um, but having said that, I've also had some contrasting opinions. Obviously, it's, you know we're hearing that from Ben Wilmot, ben Wilmot himself. But I've also heard that he's been quite reassured that he, he does have uh, a place in this team going forwards. Um, and you know he he feels quite comfortable with the situation, but obviously that all remains to be seen. But in terms of on the pitch, I think he's been quite unfortunate. There's room for him to have been involved in this this kind of previous six months or so. We hasn't really just seen enough football, and it's a big shame because I think we all felt quite good about about Ben Wilmot kind of coming back and and being part of the squad this year. And he started off quite well, um, so yeah, quite unfortunate. And the final question I get to today is another personnel question. It's another lineup question. Uh, it's, and it's regarding Dan Backman and Ben Foster. Now, we've touched on this in the Watford Buzz podcast quite a few times, but I will go over it again real quick for you, just in my opinion. Um, so the question is, who would, who would you start in this final run-in? And personally, I have no desire to drop Dan Backman. Uh, from, from, you know, I think he's been playing very well. There were some questions about him against Luton, but I, I really disagree that he had a bad performance. I, I thought he played very well for, for the most part. He was collecting crosses really nicely. He got on top of the ball quite quickly and I thought he was quite assured in his box. Um, the, the the penalty was unfortunate. It was a bad back pass and he, he made a decision. But I'm having, I said in the Watford buzz, I'm having my keeper do that every single time. I want him to be aggressive. He's got, if he's got the physical attributes to be aggressive and get out of his box at times and, and try and chase that ball down, then by all means, go for it. Uh, and I'll, I'll take a few penalties if it means that we've got a proactive goalkeeper. Obviously, Ben Foster's great. Um, I, I think he's... Obviously, very talented. Of course, he's pulled up some great saves for us. But I'm not changing it. I'm not. I'm not affecting this squad mentality right now. I'm not doing anything to hurt it. And I think if we take Dan Backman out, he's earned a spot and he's a positive guy. Where Foster might be better keeper, I don't think you get enough reward for having that extra edge in, in terms of ability over all the intangibles and an improving goalkeeper. That's kind of a he might be a longer term project for us. Whereas Ben Foster is, you know, one, we're looking at this one year at a time. I'm not doing anything to mess that up right now, especially in in a, in a match that's so crucial, um, so important. This final running, if we don't get the three points on 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 Saturday, then you know the two after that are just important too. And I'm not changing anything because one of the real positives that Shishko has brought to this team uh, and this squad 
is the the, the mental structure, the, the mentality we have. It's one of the best we've had since you know in recent years at Watford, I think. Um, it's probably the least frail. It feels like there's some there's some real kind of strength behind uh, the players' belief in, in what's going on and, and our kind of quest for promotion. So no, I, I wouldn't change things at all. Um, I'd roll with with Dan Backman, and that goes kind of for every position in some ways. Um, I think you have to you have to respect the performance, and players have to be able to earn spots. And I think players that have come in and, and performed well have earned those spots for the most part. Uh, so I'd continue with that as, as much as possible, especially in this final run-in, and just try and end the season as strong as possible. And I think that puts us in the situation to do so. Uh, so those are the questions for today. Um, I hope we covered everything for you. Uh, I hope you've kind of got a bit, a bit more of an understanding of what to expect from Millwall now. Uh, as I said, if you want a longer version of this, uh, we kind of break things down kind of a little bit more individually and kind of expand on everything I touched on there, then go check out the uh, the Bees Tactical Podcast. We, we cover Millwall. Uh, so thanks again for listening, everyone. Uh, thanks to those that have made it this far. Um, if you have any more questions, feel free to get in touch. Send me a DM uh, just to get involved in any conversation you like. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Lovely stuff, Jordan. Great as always. Thanks again then to Jordan for his Millwall summary. That's the end of this rather different show. Normal service will be returning in the post-Millwall pod with myself and Jordan back in the normal format. And then Tom will be back for the post-Brentford game. And we'll once again be back to our trio selves. I hope you enjoyed the different show today. If you actually preferred it, then get in touch and tell us that too. That'll be interesting to note. Thanks again to Jordan and to Tom for their self-contained pieces in this pod. And from both of them and me it's goodbye for now